0: BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back.
1: Welcome
2: to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk.
3: Welcome to the latest edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery, and this week I'm joined by the editor of our Red Box political email, Phil Webster, columnist Melanie Phillips, and our literary editor, Robbie Millen. The Lib Dems are flailing around, trying
2: to show they are different from the Tories whom they've kept in office. It won't work. They've just signed off the autumn statement, whose accompanying documents contain all the cuts they now so despise. They should pull out of the coalition. That will prove they are different and it won't mean an early election.
4: The appeal of the Islamic State terror group lies in the real power it's gained through territory and wealth. The only way to stop it recruiting is therefore to destroy it on the ground. The West's real problem, though, is the absence of a strategy to combat holy war.
5: Should the Elgin marbles be returned to Athens, the Greek Prime Minister said that their loan to the Hermitage Museum was an affront to the Greek people. Such bombastic, boneheaded nationalism should be ignored. The marbles belong as much to Britain and all the civilised world as modern Greece.
3: Well, those are our three topics for today. And um, Phil, let's start with the one that you've suggested um, for us. And I have to say, I think this is terrible <laughs> advice. There you have the Liberal Democrats trying to prove that coalition government works. And that probably is the one big thing they could offer to the country at the next election, not to be frightened of hung parliaments, not to be frightened of indecisive election results. Here they can prove that despite lots of expectation, coalition government has been very stable. And then at the 11th hour, you want them to pull out and prove that actually it's unstable than they've proven mm-hmm. for Not four and a half years? Not at
2: all. I, 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 the Lib Dems have kept this coalition going for four and a half years and this is the moment for them to break away. They, it wouldn't cause a, an election. If by any chance a confidence motion was called in the next five months, the Lib Dems would obviously back the government. They don't want to be like turkeys voting for Christmas. They want to wait as long as possible for the election. But at the moment, their, their strategy of trying to look different isn't working. We saw it it, ridiculously over the weekend where Danny Alexander had signed up to the Autumn Statement, walked into the Commons with uh, with George Osborne and then writes for the Sunday Telegraph saying that uh, it's all terrible uh, and we wouldn't have done it this way or we won't do it this way. The difference is over whether they do it by tax cuts, tax rises or spending. The government wants to do it all by spending, uh... the lib dems want to do twenty percent of tax rises nobody understands that out there if they went along to a cabinet meeting and i remember possibly the most dramatic resignation of my time was when michael has walked out of the cabinet into downing street and spoke to the press i think there'd be no why don't they there'll be an issue over the next few weeks on which they can't agree with the government why don't they at that point say right this is where we go we'll back you if it really matters but we're not gonna back you on this and five of them walk out of downing street then the country will know they're different
3: Yeah, but everyone will think surely it's just sort of fake they'll think you have Supported all these awful, wicked Tory cuts for four and a half years. You've been there voting for the bedroom tax. You've been there voting for all the things that left-leaning voters don't like. And then just before an election, you say you're different. I, I, I just don't think it will convince. Yeah, well,
2: I, 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 I disagree with you because I think they are different. And the key point at the moment is that they've gone along with a lot of things they, that they haven't liked during this Parliament purely to show that they can engage in coalition government. I think because this country is so unused to coalition government the Lib Dems have felt they've had to go to the end. Why? Coalitions break up. Coalitions are meant to break up. I personally thought this coalition would go about three and a half Yes. Yep. And that would have been a respectable distance. That would have been enough to show the country that the Lib Dems are serious about government. But there comes a point for every party when they're going out to get their own voters. The danger is that they've lost them. OK.
3: Robbie Millen, you are Nick Clegg. <laughs> Just for a moment. <laughs> Do you take Phil's advice?
5: No. No, I don't think so. The, the, I, I think... Any strategy of trying to differentiate differentiate yourself six months before a general election is going to fail. I think voters' perceptions of the Lib Dems are now set, and they're set to punish uh, the party. And but I have to say, I I sort of rather admire the Lib Dems. That I I didn't expect them to hold the course. Uh, I didn't expect them to be so grown up and so willing to take the hard knocks of governing. And I just sort of worry: uh, sort of walking away a few months before an election would throw away actually sort of bit of granite integrity that they've earned through, through, through supporting austerity, through, through basically sort of uh, losing a lot of their base voters.
3: Melanie Phillips, the Liberal Democrats have now been flatlining in single digits in the opinion polls for about three or four years. Perhaps Phil is right. Perhaps the only way they can have an uptick, if they carry on as they've been going, Nothing is likely to change. Do they need something dramatic of the kind Mm. Phil has recommended?
4: I think Phil's advice is extremely sensible um, and shrewd, assuming that there was ever any possibility that anybody would take the Lib Dem seriously ever again. And I think, basically, (laughs) they are stuffed. I mean, what are they? Apart from being a coalition partner, which has not been a happy experience for all the reasons that we know, they are classically the the party of protest. Mm. Um, Now, the party of protest role has been absolutely usurped while they've been busy tearing themselves apart in coalition government. Mm. We now have three parties of protest. We have UKIP, uh, we have the Greens, and we have the Scottish Nationalists. And it would appear the Scottish Nationalists are poised to do rather well in the... Uh, next general election and it could well be that we see uh, a scenario in which you know UKIP splits the conservative vote the Lib Dems are smashed uh, beyond repair and the SNP is held is left holding the balance of power in a coalition government led by Ed Miliband the Prime Minister that nobody in the country at all wants
3: Mm. that that is all true and (laughs) I think it's all true and you have three protest parties but at least if they took phil's advice and left the coalition they would have a fighting chance of differentiating themselves in some way
4: i tend to agree with robbie that um it would just look too opportunistic even by lib dem standards um, and <laughs> even a, a, uh, in view of the terminal disaffection and disillusionment of the Do do you have any of Robbie's respect
3: for the Lib Dems, that they have stuck this out for four and a half years? The the amazing thing about the political discourse, actually, is we've had this coalition government, and there hasn't been constant speculation that it's about to fall apart. The solidity of it has been Mm -hmm. quite remarkable. And that has happened as much because of Nick Clegg and his party as as David Cameron and his. But it's damaged Nick Clegg's party
2: wholly disproportionately compared with the way it's done damage the Tories and my recommendation is is for yes it's it's a dramatic action it may be regarded as opportunistic but at least it would be putting the Lib Dems back where they were I- in a position where they could fight on their own policies in the in the remaining six months up to an election where at the moment at the moment anything they say is going to be tarnished with the what they've done in government and uh, it may be too late um, as I say I thought they would go three and a half, three and a half years at, at the very most and I think that was the view I mean uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there was a high-profile resignation in the next few weeks. Or do you um, think an orchestrated one? No no I, I do don't know. think of the dramatic kind that I've recommended but I wouldn't be at all surprised if no. a cable or uh, maybe a, a Featherstone or a minister further down the line did go out saying this is the time to break it all up and remind our voters that we're still there because as Melanie says the protest vote has gone to mm-hmm. into so many places and uh, I mean, it's amazing how many Lib Dem voters from last time are now with UKIP. Yeah. It's astonishing that they, they can find common cause with the, UKIP. The, pa-
3: the party most in favour of Europe. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the party least in favour of Europe.
2: Well, the Lib Dem <laughs> leadership has always been ahead of its party on the question of Europe. Yeah. Of, of wanting to be fully integrated in Europe. But, uh, but yes, that's right. It's, it's the dif- disas- disaffected part of the Lib Dem membership uh, that couldn't make common cause at all with Labour that have gone across to UKIP.
3: Is the thing Robbie Millen that the Liberal Democrats probably really need to do is not leave the coalition but change their leader? Is the problem that mm-hmm. Nick Clegg because of the broken tuition fees because uh, left-leaning Liberal Democrats see him as the guy who got into bed with the Tories, they're not gonna come back to the Liberal Democrats as long as he's there? Yeah, do they I need a new leader, almost a new skin that people can think it's a fresh start?
5: Well, I think they've got to take their punishment first and go through the whole ritual of having mud thrown at them by the electorate uh, next year. And then afterwards, I think, whatever they do, Nick Clegg's toast, <coughs> mm. he's, 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 he's a burden. I, I think you're right, just that picture of him with the tuition fee pledge, it, you know, it's toxic.
3: We, we, we had one of our red box debates on Monday night um. Phil Webster, you were there, and I thought one of the interesting things that came out of those debates was this speculation that debates, um, the the part, the party leader debates that we had for the first time at the last general election, wouldn't happen. Will that will that be bad news for the Liberal Democrats? Because that oh, yes. was, that's potentially a way. Yes, in, back um, in for Nick. The,
2: one of the reasons, uh, there seems to be this growing feeling among politicians uh, and certainly commentators, that Cameron is one way or another going to stop these debates. And the reason is, of course, that those debates do give a platform very late in this whole process, in the five-year process, to Farage, to Miliband, who can only do better, as, as people said at the debate last night, they, he can only do better than he is at the moment if he gets those debates. And, of course... It's Clegg's last chance again. They, uh, C- Cameron remembers how well Clegg did in the first uh, debate last time his rating soared. We know what happened after that. But uh, the feeling is that Cameron will not want to risk Farage having a fantastic debate and and beating him over the head in front of the, the nation. And... Uh, I think we've got a long way to go on that. Uh, as you were saying during the debate last night, you were receiving um, messages from uh, leading figures in the in this whole uh, controversy, saying the debates will go ahead one way or another, even if we f- if we have to put them on the internet.
3: Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to our um, second topic. And while we are worrying about the minutiae of coalition government, uh, the Islamic State is consolidating its power across much of Iraq and Syria. Um, Melanie Phillips, this is the topic that you have chosen for us. You wrote about it in Monday's newspaper. And I should say at this point that for all Time subscribers listening, if they go, you go to thetimes.co Times.co dot uk slash central not only can you subscribe to this podcast there you can also get access to some of the articles <coughs> we're discussing and i will post melanie's article there but give us your basic pitch melanie you think that unless we commit for the long term unless we commit properly with ground troops we aren't going to defeat this threat
4: Uh, That's broadly right, yes. I mean, people obviously are extremely concerned by the pulling power of the Islamic State terror group, which is pulling in, as recruits, thousands of impressionable young Muslims from Britain and from other European countries, quite apart from anywhere else. And people are wondering quite why this is, and they're wondering whether it's because of its unique brutality and barbarism or what. Well, it's not uniquely barbarous, I'm afraid. We've had beheadings uh, many times before from other Islamist terror groups, Al-Qaeda, for example, the murder of Daniel Pearl and others. Um, In my view, the single most important recruiting factor is the fact that Islamic State, or ISIS as it's often called, um, has achieved real power. It controls an enormous swathe of Iraq, apparently bigger than uh, the United Kingdom. Um, It has... Precedented wealth which it's plundered from banks it's running oil fields it's running itself as a state mm. and it's not only that but it's declared itself a caliphate which to pious Muslims um, is an absolutely galvanic uh, image the self-styled caliph claims to descend from the tribe of Muhammad. So he has a particular mystique. And it's a bit like when the Iranians, uh, when the ayatollahs came to power in Iran in 1979, that galvanized not just Shia Muslims, but Sunni Muslims, because there you had an Islamic revolution, theocracy triumphant. And that rallied thousands of Muslims to the flag of jihad, just as is is doing in iraq so i believe that in order to defeat the threat that that is poses in recruitment quite apart from the terror threat it poses in itself to us which i think is very considerable because these people will have absolutely no scruple in using dirty bombs against us and against other interests in the west we have to defeat them on the ground that means boots on the ground
3: what's your evidence that because there'll be people listening and think This is a civil war in Islam between Sunnis and Shias, and if we go in in the way that you describe, we just enrage them, we put a target on our heads, better to just leave them to fight it out.
4: Well, I believe what these people say, and what they say is that they wish to Islamize the un-Islamic or not-Islamic enough world and I think we have enough evidence over the years of extremely serious terror attacks we hear from our security service of of the most terrifyingly large uh, scale terror attacks being planned against us Uh, the aim is quite clear, they say it, they do it, they mean it, we should take them seriously and so we have to destroy them Um, it's a fight between them and us and my uh, thought for years has been that the West has not 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 taking it seriously, because clearly it takes a terror threat very seriously, but it's not brought itself to acknowledge what this really is, which is a religious war being fought against us. Um, Now, we take refuge in all sorts of other excuses. Um, It's poverty, it's Islamophobia, it's grievances. Solve the regional grievances Chechnya, Kashmir, uh, Israel, Palestine, and you solve the problem of Muslim rage. I think that's putting the cart before the horse, to put it mildly. You have to look at what is fueling all those things, which is at root, strip away the very different particular reasons for those conflicts. At root, it is a desire to Islamize the non-Islamic or not Islamic enough world, and that includes us. And until we understand that, we're going to continue making terrible mistakes. For example, we made the most dreadful mistakes in the so-called Arab Spring. Our leaders in Britain and America and Europe uh, thought that because people in the Arab Spring were wearing jeans and were on Facebook and Twitter, they were Democrats. And they believed in parliamentary democracy and human rights. Nonsense. Some of them did want that kind of freedom. But unfortunately, the chaos of the Arab Spring brought to power the people with real strength who were Islamists of one stripe or another. And so we ended up backing, uh, or rather helping remove, terrible people, tyrants, who were nevertheless in our pocket, with even worse people, tyrants, who were also pledged not only to, to oppress and murder their own people, but to murder and take over us. Um, and so while one shouldn't exaggerate that threat, because um, clearly, you know, the idea of them taking over us seems preposterous, they can do us an enormous amount of terrible damage.
3: When, when was the last time, Melanie, before I bring Robbie and Phil in, that the West made a good intervention in the region? Because this mm. is what people worry about, don't they? We have been so ham-fisted for so long. You know, when do you think there's a? Is there a model here <laughs> that we should follow?
4: Well, n- um, it's very hard to think of a model because I'm. I would go back to the first Iraq War, where the West said. Saddam Hussein is an unconscionable threat to us and if we allow him to march into Kuwait uh, then we will suffer. So that was a very clear understanding that our self-interest was at threat, which in my view is the only reason why we should ever go to war when our self-interest is under threat. Unfortunately, we then bottled it, we collectively being the Americans as well as us, um, we did not get rid of Saddam. And when we did get rid of Saddam, we collectively botched it. From the moment that the statue of Saddam fell and he was pulled out of his
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
4: Foxhole. We got everything wrong, badly wrong, because we failed surge, to understand Petra- what we were doing. The
3: Petraeus surge was... If I was answering my own question, that would be the, the one mm. answer I'd give. Well, let, let, me, let me bring Phil and Robbie in. I'd be interested whether you agree with melanie's basic view that we should be there fighting this threat but i'd also be interested in your sort of political view as whether any western government is going to countenance putting in ground troops yes i mean the problem is that
2: iraq and afghanistan have sucked the will from uh western governments for this kind of action i totally agree with melanie's analysis and it does strike me that the only way this the only way Islamic State, given the massive power they have, is to defeat them. Much greater Iran.
3: than anything, uh, sort of, the that Taliban we, or Al-Qaeda, yeah, when we went in to much bigger than yeah.
2: Now, there is a sign from the polls that the, the public is a bit ahead of the politicians on this. In the immediate aftermath of events, such as uh, Lee Rigby and others, and the beheadings, the public will for military action has they been well
3: ahead. they were four air strikes though, they weren't ever No,
2: really no, according to our, our regular YouGov polls, they were also a movement towards ground, ground action as well. In Melanie's piece, she alluded in the first couple of paragraphs to the fact that what happened at the weekend, two more terrible beheadings, and then we see a couple of hopeful signs Bahrain and 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 sending airplanes back to Afghanistan. When these events do happen, sadly, and we're talking about evidence, we've had Theresa May's recent statement in which she told us about the vast number of, of plots that have, have been thwarted. So, we can't be in any way complacent about what we are. Happen.
3: We are, you're saying, generally under threat.
2: We obviously are. I mean, the the threat level has been raised, uh, so we are involved. It is in our interest to stop this happening. But coming back to what you said, we're less than five months away from a general election. Uh, we're not going to, in this country, we're not going to get any party wanting to go beyond airstrikes. Airstrikes, in a funny sort of way, as a cover for the government to say look we're doing something uh, and it's the it, it's the cheapest in terms of the possibility of losing life america is in a slightly different situation the the appointment of carter may that's the well, new that's the new us the new defense, defense Well nomination
3: so, for the new defense secretary yeah,
2: that 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 may that suggests that obama knows that he's got it wrong up to now he's also uh, a second term president not facing re-election so who knows I- it is possible that the american response may toughen up well before
3: ours does okay robbie millen what's your view
2: well i think melanie's right that, that
5: there's it, it's definitely a holy war but that doesn't mean it's all about us that the main impulse is anti-western You've, the fact that we've had young brits travel to syria or, or iraq and, and joined Islamic State and then they've ended up blowing up Shia worshippers. So I I I I think we shouldn't treat it as a question of the West versus Islamic State or Islam. There's a lot more space for the Gulf States, Saudi Arabia, who, who have got good sort of military kit, large armies for them to take up more of the how, many, how
3: many times have we said that, though, Robbie? Well, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Qatar... We want these countries well, they, they, to add, comes a they, moment where we don't.
5: Do I don't see how we can make a difference by sending British or American troops on the ground. As Melanie says, our track record is one of complete failure, so it's kind of slightly mad to think that it will be different this time round. I, I think, yes, the Islamic State's got to be defeated militarily, but it, that doesn't mean it has to be British boots on the ground or American boots on the ground. Also, how do you kill an idea? This is why I think Western intervention just sort of it allows more scope for sort of the idiot to sort of Islamists around the world to kind of sort of frame everything in, in, in an unhelpful way to us.
4: Well, there is certainly truth in that. Um, uh, Islamist propagandists will use anything that the West oh. does. But I think one thing that the West finds so very difficult to understand is that the Arab Muslim world really, really does think very differently from the West. It has a different set of premises from which it starts. Now, we think there's something a bit wrong with strength. We think military power is really rather dreadful uh, because we don't like killing people, which is entirely right. I mean, I'm part of that too. But the Muslim and Arab world doesn't see it that way at all. It regards weakness as an incentive for attack any sign of weakness it will seize on and it has seen over many years that the West is weak. It has seen that the West has no stomach for this fight. It has seen that there is a mood of profound disengagement among the British, American and European publics. They do not want to have people being, their own people being killed for faraway wars in faraway countries with which they feel they have no, in, in which they feel they have no interest because they don't feel under immediate threat. And so we have signaled fatally I think that we didn't have the stomach for the fight in Iraq we signalled we were coming out we signalled even more disastrously in Afghanistan we were coming out at a particular time America brought out all its troops that gave a tremendous signal that the West was open Open, it was open season on the West because ultimately they wouldn't fight. And every Islamist in the world knows this. Uh, we all bend over backwards to suppress any proper discussion of all this on the grounds that it's Islamophobic. We can't even have the discussion. I mean, Here we are having the discussion. That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you times. But it's very unusual. Um, and uh, so uh, what, uh, this is seen as a, as a source of weakness and that inspires people to pursue uh, their infernal aims with redoubled vigour.
3: Um, and what's what, what does Israel make of all this? A you know well it's watching at the moment the West link up with Iran as informally and formally to target Isis it, I think I agree with you this is an unholy alliance if ever there there was one will Israel keep watching this there are big political problems in Israel at the moment but could you imagine Israel taking action into its own hands
4: soon Israel will always act in a military fashion if it feels its people are about to be subjected to attack uh, and mass murder and genocide and it is watching Islamic State with great concern Islamic State is just over the border on the Golan Heights Um, the Golan Heights as you may recall was taken by Israel as a defensive measure in the 67 war it continues to occupy the Golan Heights because it's always said that it is strategically suicidal to give Golan back while Syria remains an enemy. So Syria remains an enemy, but now there's Islamic State as well. If yeah. it wasn't on the Golan, Islamic State will be into Israel. No 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 question about it. So Israel is looking at the West with perplexity because the West, um, in Israel's view does not understand the game that's being played. For example, it wants to defeat Islamic State in Iraq. Iran also wants to defeat Islamic State in Iraq, brackets, I believe, with many other uh, specialists in intelligence, that Iran was actually behind the foundation of Islamic State, but put that to one side, it's now become a monster that Iran has to, feels it has to suppress. Mm. So, America feels that it can ally informally with Iran, but in the Middle East, it is not the case that my enemy's enemy is my friend, my enemy's enemy is very often still my enemy. Yeah
3: okay well that's a uh, somber note to uh, finish our second topic and to move on to the one that you suggested for us Robbie Millen we gave the excuse to Greece I think the British that they couldn't have their marbles back even on a temporary (laughs) basis the Elkin marbles back because it wasn't safe for them (laughs) to be transported but we've just transported them in a slightly clandestine (laughs) manner to Russia now You've Lovely, got your Russia. Yeah, you've got um, quite a fighting um, view. You're accusing the Greek of bombastic, boneheaded nationalism for wanting their the Elgin Marbles back. <laughs> Defend yourself. Well,
5: there's two elements to the argument. There, there there's first of all the kind of the, the Greek prime minister has come out with a sort of ludicrous statements. I mean the Elgin marbles no more belong to the Greek people than than, than, than anyone else's. They're kind of part of a universal civilization. Um, you, that, the sort of modern Greece has... I mean, it, it has very little relationship with 5th century BC when, when the Parthenon was built. I think built. they
3: probably say it has more relation to them than the Brit- Not, to be in Britain No, I London. don't think so. No? I mean,
5: the, 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 uh, you know, a modern Greek couldn't converse with a... An, an Athenian from the 5th century. The Athenians didn't think of themselves as Greek. So there's all kinds of... You know, a simple nationalistic case with the return of the marbles is... It, it's, it's just silly. And misses the point of having great works in museums and things like that, which is about enlightenment. So, I mean, there is a good argument for returning them, that the, the new New Acropolis Museum, if it was placed in there, you could see them and then look at the uh, the, the Parthenon in the background. That would Put be wonderful. Sort of set, yeah. Exactly. So that this isn't my argument isn't a kind of a um, they must never be returned to Greece. It, it, it it's more nationalism is the worst argument for the, the uh, for the sort of restitution of cultural artefacts, whether yeah. it's marbles or.
2: Paintings or whatnot
3: you're nodding
2: vigorously, Phil. Only because I
3: disagree. Oh. <laughs> That's an unusual thing. No, no, no to not. Uh, okay. Then. Shake your head vigorously in the future, then I'll understand what you're doing. do no, dis- you disagree. I, I disagree
2: because I think we, I think, uh, I think they've lost the moral high ground over this. The British, um, the British Museum. The British Museum has, and uh, and 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 Mr. McGregor going off all very secretly, and then turning up there one morning uh, after after the marbles have uh, rolled in, and. I think they've lost the high ground here because here we are loaning the marbles to uh, a country whose regime at the moment we, we detest. And, and I know people will make the argument that culture has to be separated from mm. politics, but it really has been over the over the
3: centuries. Uh, the British Museum and the Hermitage, though, they are two of the greatest yes, institute art they institutions are. in the world. The Hermitage is celebrating a very special anniversary. Shouldn't we overlook what the despicable crimes that yeah. Russia is allowing to happen in Ukraine? Because the relationship between... The British Museum and the Hermitage will last long after Putin and Cameron and all the leaders of the world stage are forgotten.
2: Well, I I just think that uh, this this is a fantasy. But uh, you know, if a Greek colonel had come over here in the uh, in the 60s and made off with a bit of rock from. Stonehenge um, <laughs> and took it back to Greece. This would have caused a mass outrage. Well, you know, team, been a, there would have been a, a you know, a, ta- a task force heading for Piraeus, I imagine. Yes. Um, and and surely, yes, they, they, it was. A, there was a good reason to keep the marbles, to take the marbles for Elgin to take them to look after them. But as he, didn't, Robert,
3: he didn't steal them, did he? he no, 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 he, no. Pa- well, he paid for these marbles. Well, yeah, they, they, I'm, they were was, sold by the whether there was a
2: commercial occupier. involvement. Yeah. Uh, who knows? But the fact is that we've looked after them for a long time, and as Robbie said, there is now a place for them to go. And, uh, and one would have thought they belong properly there, and then we can all go to Greece, which is much nicer than <laughs> Russia, <laughs> and have a look at them. Or but, well, I,
5: I, I think the British Museum is even <laughs> higher up the moral high ground. They're <laughs> so high up the moral high ground we can't see them, because the very fact they're willing to loan uh, the, the marbles to... Um, to to other museums it really shows they're fulfilling their mission of trying to showcase the best artifacts around the world whereas i think the greeks i fear would kind of be very petty and sort of once it's there it's there so I, I i kind of think the british Museum's fulfilling its prime
3: function boris johnson in the telegraph thought it was wonderful as well robbie that this was a independent british institution not worrying about the politics of it all not yeah. asking the prime minister or the culture secretary or the mayor of london for any approval but just this is the glory of a of a of a democracy that the british yes, museum just di- took the decision and it took it
5: alone uh, The mayor is correct on this.
3: (laughs) All I can say is, uh,
5: as ever, a very wise man.
3: Melanie Phillips, are you with Robbie or Phil in this great controversy? Well, as you know,
4: Tim, I'm deeply consensual, and I agree with both of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How can you do that? (laughs) Very very easily. I think both have excellent points. I agree with Phil's scepticism of the use of uh, art as politics. I think Mr. McGregor's um, argument that somehow art can kind of bridge a political divide and heal where politics divides i think it's absurd the fact that this uh, rather magnificent uh, statue uh, is now in the in the in in, in russia uh, is hardly going to persuade mr putin to come out of uh, of uh, ukraine or undo any of the things he's proposing to do it's absurd on the other hand, I also agree with Robbie that the idea that um, Greece is, you know, entitled to claim this. Yes. Well, museums across the world are full of artefacts which have been looted or plundered or, you know, properly belong to some country or other and here they are and no one's going around saying we demand all of them back. I have to say I'm a little baffled as to why the Elgin marbles, I'm, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure they're absolutely wonderful, but um, why Greece makes such a solid and dance about the Elgin Marbles. So, well, I as
3: Robbie said, though, if, or was it Phil? Sorry, if bits of Stonehenge had been taken, I say this to someone who <laughs> lives in Salisbury. We were, even if they'd been sold legitimately rather than looted, perhaps we'd be making a song well, and dance about don't. part of our national but treasure. But people
4: being. don't. There's lots of people's national treasury which has been mm. which has been taken. I mean, it's it's. I think it's different if you know you have. Uh, I'm thinking of the Nazi period, which stole mm. from people. Mm. Um, so those people are still alive, or their families are still alive, mm. and they want their property back. Well, that seems to me to be quite a clear-cut case. That's theft of people from people who are who are mm. still around. But to say that you know an entire country is entitled, or entire nation is entitled to claim back, yes. you know, its ancient heritage. Well, up to a point, yes, um, but it doesn't actually have um, a right to do that if the uh, object in question was. Uh, legitimately uh, uh, bought. If it was actually stolen, clearly stolen, then that's another matter. Now I know that there are question marks about quite how it was bought and whether, you know, the people from whom uh, Elgin bought it, um, bought them, uh, had the right to sell them. But that's that's really quite arcane. The fact yes. is, he didn't just go in and steal them. He did buy them. There was a transaction. He believed he was entitled. It uh, was say, a slightly
5: estate agent deal, we have to confess. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. But
4: nevertheless, <laughs> but nevertheless, um, it was a deal. Um, and I, it, 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 I, as I say, I remain baffled as to why this has been quite such an iconic casus belli.
5: Well, it, well it's a relatively new one as well, because lot time they, the the Greek identity was bound up with the Orthodox Church and all this kind of pagan classical stuff just didn't appeal and then I think I think in the 80s they sort of discovered that this was something they could get very angry about so therefore they did
3: doesn't mean that they aren't right now they may have been wrong during the period when Greek Orthodoxy was dominant to have neglected their heritage do you know what the
5: best thing they could do is sort of say if the British Museum returns the the, the marbles to Athens that they will stick up a big statue of Lord Elgin right next to the Parthenon to sort of thank the British Museum Lord <laughs> Elgin for saving these <laughs> things from destruction if they do that and be magnanimous I mean well you might you might Yes, I, I would consider the case very
3: strongly. Your generosity knows no <laughs> beginnings there, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> Millen. But on that note, uh, we've had a long podcast today, but it's been fascinating talking to you, Melanie, you, Robbie, and you, Phil. Thank you to Dave Maguire, my producer, for putting this together. Thank you to you for listening. And please do go to thetimes.co.uk, comment central, to subscribe to this podcast and also to read some background articles, including some fantastic letters, the Times readers have been sending into the newspaper about the Elgin marbles. Goodbye.
2: Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to
1: thetimes.co.uk.
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK’s most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.